Welcome to the Hemp Empowerment Project. We are your hosts, Anthony and Nicole Lucido. Our goal is to share the amazing opportunities within the hemp industry and how it can benefit your life. Today we have with us Maddie Mead. He is a pioneer in the hemp building space. He has a passion for cultivating an ecologically conscious relationship between the build environment and the natural world. Maddie is the co-founder and CEO of Hempitecture, which is a company specializing in hemp construction and consulting. And he has a new line of hemp wool that can be used as insulation. And they also sell different hemp building products. He serves as community on the Ketchum Idaho Planning and Zoning Commission and is on the board of directors of the Idaho Base Camp. Matt, bring me back to that time when you were in St. John and you got that call from your mom. How are you feeling in that moment when you hung up the phone? (laughs) Oh, man. Well, first off, uh, when I moved to St. John after college, uh, you know, fortunately, I was in part pursuing my career. I was learning how to build and learning about sustainability and uh, solar panels and sustainable systems. Uh, But it was a life changing moment when I got uh, a call asking if I wanted to go out to um, Idaho. so, you know, I'm from northeastern New Jersey originally, um, and when I moved to St. John, my mom said, you're, you're going to move that far away? You know, you just graduated college. You want to move that far away already? And then I said, well, it looks like now I'm moving to Idaho. And uh, she's like, even further, and where the heck is Idaho? <laughs> and I felt I had no idea where Idaho was at the time. Uh, and that opportunity uh, that we were speaking about was uh, to work for a nonprofit organization, which I, I still work with today, Idaho Base Camp. And uh, in working with that Nonprofit organization, it was supposed to be six months. Six months turned into a year. Uh, fast forward seven years, and Idaho is where I'm still located and is the base of our operations. Awesome. What kind of joy have you gotten out of working with that organization, the Idaho Base Camp? Working with Idaho Base Camp has been so incredibly formative in my life, and I truly would not be here talking to YouTube today without Idaho Base Camp. Um, and I think you know everything happens for a reason, um, and where we are in our lives, I think, is a reflection of sort of our compilation of experiences. Um, so going back to that specific opportunity to come to Idaho. Um, I had just graduated college uh, studying architecture with a focus in environmental studies. And at the time, um, I didn't really know where the hempitecture concept was going to go. And it it was so formative because Idaho Base Camp gave me this sort of opportunity to uh, experiment. They said, use our property, our landscape, as a laboratory for your natural building. It's not very common that you have a client who is willing for you to learn, experiment, do something new uh, on their property, on their land. However, you know, the, the hemp texture concept and, and specifically we were focused on, on hempcrete at the time. It's so in line with the ethos of Idaho Base Camp, which is a nonprofit organization with the intention to create community uh, and to cultivate a relationship or a deeper relationship, I should say, with uh, community and a connection to nature. Uh, because without uh, you know, community and a connection to nature, we can't be our, our full selves. Or, or the idea about a base camp is it makes you more of yourself and, and allows you to um, be more 
at peace with yourself and the earth uh, and recognize your role in the earth. So uh, you know, that early on experience changed how I look at building opportunities, how I look at problems, how I look at relationships with uh, friends, families. And there's a reason that I still work with Idaho Base Camp today and, and volunteer my time. It's because it was so transformative for me uh, as a kid who'd grown up in the Northeast and never gone camping a day in my life. <laughs> that, you know, moving out to Idaho and sleeping under the stars, uh, by my role in, in base camp today uh, on the board of directors, I hope to provide that same experience for individuals who you know, had that similar background to me, didn't have a deep connection to the outdoors or didn't understand what sustainability was or why it's important. Uh, so those reasons uh, really you know, foster my involvement with base camp and, and make me want to continue to be involved so that I can continue that cycle for others. That's awesome. Can you share with us about the, um, that first project, the, the first commercial hemp building that you built at Idaho base camp? Yeah. Yeah. So that was a really interesting project. And, uh, as we were just touching on before came off the heels of my, uh, experience as an undergraduate student studying architecture, um, with a focus in environmental studies, uh, at the time, I had created, you know, the hempitecture concept, which was very different than it, it exists today. The hempitecture concept uh, initially, and this is, you know, 2012, 2013, was a building material manufacturing concept that related to interlocking, insulating building blocks. The idea was that, you know, if you take a material such as hempcrete and you put it in a nominal form, such as a building block, you then have the ability to work with hempcrete much more easily, more simply, more cost effectively. Um, of course, you know, 2000, 2012, 2013, industrial hemp was not legal. Uh, you know, I had professors and teachers who were saying, you know, you're practically out of your mind thinking that this is a feasible concept. Uh, but I was able to look to what was going on in Europe, particularly the France, UK, the Netherlands, uh, and see these examples of building with hemp, uh, and not just these examples of building with hemp, but commercial examples or examples of really intricately beautiful architectural pieces that were done incorporating these materials. So I knew what was possible, uh, and I wanted to take that and put it in a form that was accessible. Of course, you know, with the time that we were at, at that time period, uh, with industrial hemp not being, you know, legal, um, it didn't fully come to fruition and that's okay. Going back to what I said before, I think everything happens for a reason. Um, and perhaps if, you know, we had been so focused on that, um, early on and that had been as successful as maybe I once would have hoped, um, opportunities like Idaho Base Camp and subsequent projects may have never, you know, came to fruition. Um, so that Idaho Base Camp project was super special in the sense that, you know, I was contacted out of the blue by them and they said, use our property as a laboratory for natural building. Take your ideas and test them here. 
And so early on, we really did actually think about, okay, well, you know, we don't have a industrial facility. We don't have a block press. We don't have conveyors and all the necessary pieces of equipment to manufacture hempcrete blocks. Can we make these on a small scale? Is this something that we can do uh, on site and then, you know, have these blocks cure on site and then stack these blocks uh, in place on site? We, we realized pretty quickly uh, that that was not going to be an entirely feasible uh, possibility given a few different you know circumstances. It's important to set the scene here. Idaho Base Camp is uh, in the middle of nowhere. It's about 40 miles from the nearest town, and the nearest town has a population of probably 500 people or less. So you forget something at the hardware store, you're not getting it until the next day. Um, so we realized, you know, with the remoteness, with the um, also elevation that we were at, um, 7,500 feet above sea level, if not 8,000 feet above sea level, it gets really, really cold at night. Um, so blocks just seemed like, you know, this is going to be a labor intensive way of, you know, still doing this because we're not benefiting from a manufacturing process that makes this more efficient. We'd still be basically like casting hempcrete into block shaped forms. And so working with a local architect, uh, Dale Bates of Living Architecture, who has a pretty esteemed career in natural and sustainable building, we evaluated some different methods. Uh, and one of the methods that we looked at was prefabricated hempcrete panels. The idea was, okay, a block might be in a one foot high, one foot wide, two foot long module. Why not use larger modules and in theory have less pieces so that the puzzle becomes more simple to put together. And so that puzzle ultimately came together by way of a panelized system. As far as I'm aware, it is one of the first, uh, if not the first, panelized hempcrete buildings in the United States, uh, and it was absolutely a learning experience, no, no doubt about that. Um, I would be lying to you and all the listeners today if I said that you know that first process was a perfect process, and I kind of believe that there is no such thing as a perfect process you're always kind of refining and developing that process. Uh, and so this building project, while it was ultimately successful and very much so served the purpose and continues to serve the purpose of Idaho Base Camp, and I think will serve the purpose of Idaho Base Camp for many, many, many years into the future, um, it was a huge learning experience, particularly as it relates to you know, working with, with prefabricated elements. Uh, this project holds a super special place in, in my heart. And so I could talk all day about this particular project. But um, you know, at the end of the day, for us, it was a, a great springboard for um, you know, future developments, and taking you know, those experiences and learning from them uh, with the hopes of making the process less labor intensive and, and more accessible, which ultimately is what Hempitecture set out to do uh, from day one. Sweet. So, you know, you mentioned that the elevation at the Idaho base camps at almost 8,000 feet above sea level, 
and it gets cold. What's it like being in a being in that hemp house during those cold during that cold weather? That's a great question. Um, what is it like to be in the hemp house during the cold weather? Well, uh, there is this really amazing feeling of stillness in this building, which is a stark contrast to the high mountain desert uh, that Idaho Base Camp exists in. It is always windy <laughs> up there. Uh, at that elevation, you know, I, I always say I'm, I'm toast if I don't remember to bring some chapstick because your cheeks, your face, your, your lips, they get chapped so quickly because it's dry, arid, and windy. So you walk into the Idaho Base Camp Bora Basin Building, which is, is what it's called, named after the tallest peak in Idaho, Mount Bora, which the building uh, essentially sits in the basin of. Uh, you walk into that building, you generally you know, enter through the back, which actually uh, is sort of a you know, step-down entryway. You are kind of entering into a low ceilinged area and you enter through the back and you're kind of in like this utility space. Um, the way that we designed this building to function was that each space, um, is demised with its own, you know, sort of partition wall, but also purpose. So for instance, you walk in the back and the ceiling is the lowest. You walk in the back, you take your shoes off, you hang your coat up, uh, you know, it's kind of like a gathering, talking, you know, sort of informal space. You move into the next space, which is the middle space between uh, that back entryway and ultimately what, what is the more sort of sacred space. You walk into this middle space, the roof pitch continues to, to go upward. Um, you know, there are sinks, there's facilities, there's... Um, a rocket mass wood stove uh, that ultimately will be finished out with a um, cob finish so that you can sit on this bench. It stays nice and warm. Um, and this is sort of like the gathering communal space uh, that kind of prepares you to go into the next space. That next space is why we designed the board basin building. Uh, you enter through two doors that swing open and, and on that door, uh, there is a tree of life carving, um, sort of just, you know, emblematic or, or uh, representation of, uh, that process of, of circularity, you know, from the earth to the earth. And, um, you know, this space is all about celebrating our relationship to nature and honoring that. And so you go through those tree of life doors and you walk into this space that, uh, faces south. So it gets an incredible amount of sunlight. It's an absolutely gorgeous view uh, of the Big Lost River. The south-facing facade is primarily uh, all glass, and the center axis of the building is designed to align with a bend in the Big Lost River, which is based off of a feng shui principle of water moving away, carrying your either negative uh, or bad energy away from you and promotes a very calming, soothing effect. And so you have these sort of architectural intentions um, by way of the spaces. That is one element that is then enhanced by the benefits of hempcrete, which are super insulating. The building space itself is very warm. 
uh, in the summer when it's really hot out, it's cool inside. You can go in there and, and cool off. There's no air conditioning or, or anything like that. It just kind of maintains that sort of coolness. Um, but in the winter, and uh, especially when it's windy out, there's this sense of stillness, uh, a sense of warmth, um, as well as a sense of sort of acoustical comfort. And it's hard to really put into um, your terms what exactly acoustical comfort uh, feels like, uh, because it's a sensation that's difficult to describe. Uh, but the way that I you know, could best describe it is um, you know, wind has sound. And so when you hear wind on the outside blowing, um, it is sort of relentless. When you are in a space that has, you know, a high acoustical buffering ability, such as a hempcrete building, and there's a stillness that is uh, not felt in, you know, some of the other cabins that are just wood cabins there where you can kind of hear the wind blowing through the cracks of, you know, the windows or doors. Um, So ultimately, I think what all of these elements add up to um, is less of, uh, you know, like one specific adjective uh, to describe it all, but more is of this feeling of sort of safety, of, of comfort. And that was really a design intention of this building very early on because this space is meant to serve as the community space for this nonprofit organization, which hosts all sorts of groups, uh, whether you know young, old, uh, from the lowest socioeconomic bracket, from an urban center that's never seen uh, you know nature or wilderness before, to you know folks who are fortunate enough to go on sort of retreats all the time and live in sort of uh, the high mountain west um, and have access to facilities like that. So uh, it is a very very special place. Are you finding people are connected to that building? I mean, as you, as you walk me through that, I got this, I had, I was imagining myself walking through this building. You're painting an amazing picture and I almost felt myself crying there. I mean, it (laughs) seems like a really touching place. It, it it really is. And I feel like that element of uh, emotional connectivity to it is uh, only increasing over time. So you think about the construction of that building, uh, sort of a, a phrase that we used was a lot of hearts and hands. You know, a lot of hearts and hands went into making that space what it was. Um, and it took a lot of effort. It took a lot of sacrifice. It took uh, a lot of people camping out and working long days under the hot sun, building in the wind to make this space. And so before any particular one group had used the space at any given point, there was already this sort of, uh, I think, embedded intentionality and sort of hope for uh, the, the sort of future that this space would have. And then once groups started coming and people started using it, uh, that experience and, and that sort of like, I'll call it like emotional memory of a space has only enriched uh, by way of people coming there and being maybe sometimes really out of their comfort zone. I mean, imagine 
growing up in a, in a city and never having left your city. And all of a sudden you're, you know, afforded the opportunity to be flown out to Idaho to go to a, you know, teen leadership retreat for, um, you know, underserved communities. That's going to be a huge, huge learning experience for you and take you so far out of your element. And then that building, that space is the place that at the end of that day where you were maybe challenged by, you know, rock climbing or hiking or, you know, navigational wayfinding or learning how to start a fire. You go into that building, that space at the end of the day, and you talk about, you know, what excited you, what challenged you, what made you scared and what you're looking forward to uh, for the next day. So there really is this um, element to this space that I think uh, hempcrete definitely plays a role in contributing to that comfort level and allows people to open up. It allows uh, people to like really um, feel safe. And, and I think it's for all those attributes uh, and performance qualities that I, I mentioned before that, that hempcrete offers. Do you hold your, um, your hempcrete workshops there at Idaho Base Camp? So as you know, hempcrete was a, uh, or as, so as uh, Idaho Base Camp was our first sort of prototyping natural building laboratory um, for the Bora Basin building. It has continued to serve as a laboratory for natural building. And we don't host a majority of our workshops there, but we have hosted other workshops there because we have done other uh, hemp building experimental designs there. Um, about not this last summer, but the summer before in July, we had a hemp building workshop that the intention of this workshop was to build the first spray applied hempcrete building in North America using a spray application technology that was invented in France. We had the inventor of this technology come to Idaho, uh, which was totally cool because it was like worlds colliding. (laughs) Uh, But we had this inventor from France come and teach us how to use this technology. And then we create a workshop out of it where about 25 people came from truly across the world to, uh, you know, get their hands on this piece of equipment and build this building that was sort of a a cottage style building that ultimately will will serve as um, part of Idaho Base Camp's future master plan of multiple, you know, rentable dwellings, um, in the past yurts have kind of served the purpose, but, uh, it is cold, it's windy. Um, so the idea is to make, you know, more long-term, more long lasting, uh, yet sustainable structures up there. So we've been fortunate that we were able to host, uh, that spray applied workshop at base camp. Um, while base camp, you know, benefits, they have the, the benefit of folks coming from all over the world, learning about this place, learning about the mission of the nonprofit organization, and also, you know, building something that's going to last at base camp for the next 50 to 100 years. The rest of the workshops that we hold, particularly our hempcrete contract trainings, are held at our brick-and-mortar space in Ketchum, Idaho, which is about 
40 miles away, uh, actually probably closer to 50 miles away from Idaho base camp, uh, up over a, a dirt road. But that is where our business is currently based. That's where our, our uh, headquarters are. And we also have a shop space there, uh, with all of our hempcrete tools and machinery and equipment. And so what we do is we have, uh, ideally professional contractors or folks who are you know, really eager to get involved in the hemp building space. We have them come to our workshop for a four day immersive deep dive experience into all things hemp building, whether it is hemp creed, hemp wool, uh, talking about, you know, different mixers, different strategies, even down to how do you estimate a hemp creed project? You know, we have spreadsheets that have evolved over the course of years. Um, and, you know, by attending our hemp creed contract trainings, you can really benefit from our years of trial and error. Awesome. So you're, so you're telling me that, a contractor can skip the five, six years of, of hardship by coming, <laughs> by coming to your class and learning from that, Maddie? <laughs> I would say it's a good place to start, but the hardship might be a valuable learning lesson too. <laughs> uh, yeah, by no means will, you know, four days get you fully, fully prepared. Um, and generally that's why we like to um, have Folks with construction, architecture, contracting backgrounds. That's why we have a uh, application process so that you know we kind of know uh, who's coming in and, and just what level they'll be at. And we, we don't you know discriminate if, if you don't have you know experience. That's fine. We just might um, create a session that's going to be a little bit more in line with with people's skill sets. So we don't have a seasoned general contractor coming in with someone who's you know, going to do it yourself, build their own house. But, you know, at the end of the day, all are welcome. Cool. Do you have any workshops planned for the future? Yeah. So, you know, of course, in the uh, COVID world that we live in, and um, we had to pause a bunch of our workshops uh, last spring. Um, but we are, you know, able to resume them with small group sizes. Generally, we have, you know, no more than four or five participants at a time um, and we'll be hosting uh, these workshops now monthly um, even throughout the winter uh, you know we have a big uh, shop space with a roll-up door and uh, you know bring a puffy coat we'll open up the door we'll turn the heat on and uh, get to work but we have them in November December uh, and we're soon to announce some workshops in uh, January and February but um, we're we're trying to finalize those dates now. Awesome. Right on. Awesome. So Maddie, I see that, you know, on your site, you've, I can go get a sprayer. I can get a herd. I mean, is this something that we can really just jump on your site and order all, all the materials we need to build a hempcrete home? Everything that is listed on our website is available from our warehouse. that's located in Salt Lake city, Utah. And, Primarily, you know, our, our market is the Rocky Mountain West, um, Pacific Northwest, and Canada, uh, all the way down and over to California, Texas, Southwest. So Salt Lake City is a really well-located uh, hub for fulfillment. So whatever you need, whether it be herd, binder, hemp wool, spray machines, mixers, we have that all in our warehouse at Salt Lake City. Um, can you... 
you know, in the beginning here, you shared with us that hemp texture has really kind of transformed from your original thought process when you created it. Can you share with us what hemp texture is now? And then also, um, you know, I felt some of your passion through some of my research with you about your hemp wool. So maybe you can share with us a little bit about both of those things. That'd be great. Yeah, that, that's a great question. And I think to you know, understand what hemp texture is now, it would help to kind of build off where hemp texture came from. And, and initially it was created sort of as a manufacturing product development concept focused on a hemp creep building block. Um, from that, you know, intention or goal, hemp texture has grown into sort of a full service uh contracting service you know we have a general contracting license um to this day you know to some extent we still do travel and complete uh custom construction projects particularly the hempcrete uh portion of it um however we're doing that less and less because uh after living in people's backyards and you know (laughs) doing all sorts of crazy things and being all over the united states working on people's dream homes, I realized that, you know, maybe it's not just me who needs to be building all these hempcrete homes. There needs to be a community of people who are trained and well-versed in this. Um, so we've kind of moved away from being sort of like a very specialty contractor to more of a, a you know, consulting, training, expertise, providing outfit that, you know, can get you all the materials that you need, um, all the equipment that you need, and we have the experience to properly advise you on what might be best for you. Because what might be good for you know someone in one location working on one particular project might not be the same for someone else working elsewhere on a different, maybe larger size project. You know your your tools and and the um, your resources that you have to have available need to be scaled to to fit your endeavor. So. We have that experience now to like actually properly advise on that. So moving away from sort of that uh, custom builder contracting world, um, we are kind of now coming full circle back to a manufacturing concept. And we have a lot of exciting plans uh, that are happening right now in the background. uh, And we're really looking forward to what the future brings because we envision you know, the accessibility of plant-based healthy building materials um, to be just that, truly accessible. Right now, uh, unfortunately, they are not. Um, And there is, in our feeling, sort of a a social equity component to that where, you know, the folks that generally are most impacted by, uh, you know, underperforming, toxic, unhealthy, or unenergy efficient homes are generally the people who can't afford to make you know, decisions otherwise, just because it is financially inaccessible. We feel that, you know, with the domestic production of these materials, with uh, the growth of the industrial hemp industry here in the United States, the cost of all of these products and all of these things that we're talking about can be lowered and they can be made to be more accessible, which would then provide the option or ability for natural materials such as hemp wool to be incorporated into, you know, anything from the super most luxury high-end home 
for you know a Hollywood star to affordable housing, and it should run that gamut. It shouldn't just be for any one sector or segment of society. Uh, so that's really the sort of hope and goal that we have moving forward is to make that a uh, available possibility. Man, that's awesome. Where were you at years ago? <laughs> so, man, let's say, you know, I'm in drywall or I'm a contractor and I want to get into, I want to start a creep business. I know you've written a lot of business plans. Kind of, can you kind of gauge where somebody's going to be looking at as far as an investment? get started? That's a really good question. And I would say that the investment size to get going with a hemp creep business could be, you know, pretty much tailored to, you know, the, the scope of work that you hope to do. So if you're going to build an ADU in your background, in your backyard, it's going to be a lot more affordable to get off the ground, get up and running, get going versus someone who might want to be building you know, uh, 4,000 square foot hempcrete house, um, you're just going to need bigger tools. Um, so I would say that the lowest end, you know, the, the base, most basic tool that you need, um, which is also rentable, mind you, um, would be a mixer. Um, if you're going to, you know, be thinking about working with hempcrete, you need mixing tools, you need, uh, carpentry tools for the forming. Um, when I first started hempitexture, or I should actually refine that and say when I first got uh, a individual project that I undertook, um, which was in Bellingham, Washington, the, the Highland Hemp House, um, I probably made a, a ten to fifteen thousand dollar investment in tools, a trailer, mixer, uh, things like that to to get going. Basically, you know, anything that a construction company would need to have, uh, I took out a line of credit and I bought it. And, but I still have a lot of those tools today. So um, it's an investment that you know stays around. If you're on the larger end of things and you're really serious about working with hempcrete, um, we supply skid steer mounted bucket mixers. And the largest version of that is about twelve to $13,000. Uh, don't get me started on a skid steer because those can be, you know, eighty thousand dollars. But you can rent those. You can attach a bucket mixer to the front of it um, and mix hempcrete at an insanely productive rate. Um, versus, you know, what a lot of people start out with, which is totally fine, uh, just like a small rotary drum mixer, and that's a great way to get your hands dirty. I think that is a nice thing about hempcrete um, is it's not entirely prohibitive from that regard of like you can use rental equipment or you can use a uh, small not super efficient pretty cheap mixer from harbor freight that you get for you know 50 75 dollars might be dispensable uh, but at least you have a way uh, of you know mixing and starting working with hempcrete but for people that want to just get their hands dirty mix hempcrete by hand you can get hemp you can get lime get your hands dirty quite literally get your hands dirty <laughs> make sure you have blood on for safety first um but yeah that that is just in my opinion uh, a great element of, of hempcrete you could have from the most experienced contractor who wants to start out you know and be fully outfitted from you know, maybe twenty five thirty thousand dollars to you know rent a mixer for half a day or just get your hands dirty uh, and just pay for the materials. 
Awesome. You mentioned uh, mixing with limestone and, you know, we know limestone is caustic whenever you're first getting it wet and working through that process. How does that change as it dries with the, um, the herd? Yeah. So yeah, over time it cures, um, and it becomes more and more inert, meaning less caustic, um, and less potentially harmful to your respiratory system as well as your hands. When working with hempcrete, you know, initially, uh, safety first. I mean, always personal protection equipment, uh, long sleeves, gloves, uh, you know, respirator, or at least a dust mask, um, glasses, lime in your eye is, uh, pretty terrible. I've had it happen. Uh, it's not something that you want to have happen. So, you know, have a, an eye washing station on site and available. Um, but over time, hempcrete you know, cures through this uh, absorbing carbon dioxide. Uh, limestone goes through a calcification process when exposed to uh, water. Um, in that calcification uh, process, the uh, mixture itself is acquiring carbon dioxide that's freely available in our atmosphere, storing it into uh, the composite itself, uh, which I find just a really fascinating attribute of hempcrete. There's not many other materials but things out there that uh, absorb carbon dioxide. So I think that's a, a pretty amazing quality. So you're telling me that it absorbs. So we know that the plant is absorbing carbon dioxide as it's growing. It's doing it while it's drying too. That's correct. And, you know, some folks will say that it will do it over the life of the building. Um, I, think that that might be possible. However, um, there, I am cautious to make that claim. Um, it is without a doubt that when hempcrete is curing and in that initial curing process that it is absorbing carbon dioxide, um, and solidifying it, but you know, the carbon storage of hempcrete and you brought up a, a great point there. Um, 90% of the carbon storage of hempcrete is resultant from the use of industrial hemp itself as the feedstock uh, for hempcrete in the sense that industrial hemp is storing carbon dioxide during its cultivation. 10% of the overall carbon storage of hempcrete results from the active curing process of the limestone with the hemp core. Awesome. Um, I just have a funny story here. When we bought our house about nine years ago and my, and Anthony has been God passionate about hemp forever. And he wanted to tear down all our walls and put hempcrete in the walls. And that was before I really became educated on it. And I, I was just like, um, you're, you're crazy. So, <laughs> so anyways, of course my mind has changed now, but maybe for some other people out there that might be in some similar positions, what would you say to convince your significant other of the, you know, the benefits of doing something like that? Yeah. So hempcrete definitely is applicable as a retrofit material. And, uh, is that that's kind of a strength of, of hempcrete that you can use it to retrofit buildings. However, you do have to be relatively cautious of what you are retrofitting and how you are retrofitting it. Um, so for instance, you know, the way that we build, uh, homes by and large in the United States is you know two by four, two by six studs clad with OSB 
or plywood within a vapor barrier, say like DuPont Tyvek mm-hmm. on the outside of the house. That is a type of assembly that would not be conducive to the installation of hempcrete without some uh, you know, detailed alterations to that um, because hempcrete is a vapor permeable material uh, and it's also installed wet. And so if you're casting it against a material that doesn't want to be wet, such as plywood or OSB, um, that's a potential challenge there. Uh, it doesn't mean that you cannot do it. Um, you just need to take some certain steps and precautions, one of which would be you know, essentially putting an uh, impermeable membrane between the hempcrete and your existing structural elements, uh, i.e. your OSB or sheathing. Uh, but the easiest, most efficient way of incorporating sustainable, healthy materials into a retrofit uh, would be uh, the one-to-one replacement that's offered by way of hemp wool. Um, hemp wool is designed to replace fiberglass, spray foam, rock wool, whatever you would use to insulate a house conventionally, you can take out and you can put hemp wool in with no need to you know, alter any sort of element of your structural system uh, or your wiring or your plumbing, which are all things that may be uh, potentially adversely affected by hempcrete. So it's absolutely not impossible to, you know, incorporate hempcrete into a retrofit. We've done a couple of retrofits, um, but the lowest hanging fruit in terms of, you know, improving your indoor air quality, your health, not just the health of you know yourself, but also the health of your home, and positively impact how your home is performing in terms of its energy efficiency, is take out the toxic, underperforming materials like fiberglass and replace them with hemp wool. Right on. Awesome. What are some of your biggest problems right now, uh, moving forward in the in the industry that you're facing? Uh, that's that's a good problem, and I feel like depending on the week, the problem changes. <laughs> uh, it everything is a learning experience, and uh, you know, I, I'm just you asked this question, and I'm going in my head and thinking of all these different things that I wish you know I had done differently, or you know, an experience that I went through and then learned something that I didn't know before, and that you know what that element that I learned how that would help me in the future. And, you know, going back kind of full circle to the beginning of of this conversation, just, you know, I I do think everything happens for a reason. um, And we are compilations of our accrued experiences. Um, And so, you know, the challenges that we've had, you know, with individual projects uh, with like end result uh, maybe even with clients, they all make you uh, better and more well prepared for the next challenge around the bend. Um, I would say the challenge for us right now um, is growing the market. Uh, and when I say growing the market, you know, we, we've been doing this since 2012, 2013. Um, there have been you know, some reincarnations of the business itself. Um, but we are taking uh, a more aggressive tax towards, you know, how can we supplant the use of traditional insulation materials like fiberglass with hemp-based alternatives? 
So the challenge is how do we get people aware? How do we let people know what we are doing? How do we convince people who may have never heard of what we're offering before and in you know 30 second or less conversation make them a believer? Uh, I think those are some of our, our biggest challenges to date. Awesome. So it sounds like you get to work on your elevator pitch a little bit for, for him. <laughs> <laughs> it's always, it's always in process. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Well, as we wrap up, I, I do want to ask you this one last question through the lens of a builder. What would the world look like today? If hemp was never criminalized. Oh. <laughs> Great question. And I'm glad you asked because uh, I think we have, examples to go off of in our world that uh, indicate what that world would be like or what this place would be like if hemp were never criminalized. And one example that I think of is uh, France. Um, You go to France, there are cooperatives of farmers, processors with equipment, people who lend, you know, the harvesting, uh, combines and necessary elements and equipment to you know properly harvest and then process industrial hemp and then it goes down the road not that far away to uh, a manufacturing plant that then incorporates it into a building material or you know uh, bedding for farm animals and they have a complete closed loop system that benefits farmers it benefits communities and it benefits the you know end users of the products, whether it be a hempcrete building block or uh, a farmer, you know, or, or someone who's got happy horses because they have you know nice absorbent bedding for their animals. Uh, and I think what that ultimately creates that sort of like closed loop system is a is a sense of greater community. It, it creates a sense of more resiliency of, uh, you know, economic opportunity. And I think that with our, uh, absolutely absurd prohibition of industrial hemp in the United States, which is now starting to course correct, um, to some extent, uh, you know, we're, we're on the brink of sort of a new day in the United States, but it's going to take a long time for us to get, to that level where, you know, in a country like France, where it was not made illegal, where they have that sort of circular economy, closed loop system, uh, everybody helping everybody and everybody wins because these materials are freely available. Um, they're easily able to be processed and people are making money off them. We, we have that ability in the United States, uh, but I think it's going to take working together as a community um, to get there. And so, you know, the hemp industry is, it's hard to, you know, fully call it an industry. It is small. It's maybe a cottage industry, but it has potential to be, uh, a large scale industry competitive with some of the sort of mainstay industries in our country. But more specifically, you know, through the lens of the builder, I imagine, uh, a future where our homes, consume less energy and actually positively contribute to our health and wellness versus taking away 
from our health and wellness, which all too often and all too commonly uh, our buildings and our built environment take away from our health and wellness. They detract from uh, our health and how we live our lives instead of enhancing it. In a world where, or in a country, I should say, where industrial hemp was never made illegal, perhaps we would have far more homes built with plant-based materials that are nurturing our health and ultimately making the world uh, a a better place. Amen to that. (laughs) So Maddie, can you share with us where people can find you? Yeah, you can find us uh, a few places. Of course, we are super active on social media, as you have to be these days. So you can check out our Facebook page, facebook.com slash hempitecture, or uh, search for us on Instagram, uh, hempitecture on Instagram. Uh, also, hempitecture.com, that's kind of where uh, our where we live on the internet. So you can find us there, find out about everything that we do, how we do it, and uh, how we might be able to help you do it as well. Awesome. Well, thank you, Maddie, for spending time with us today and sharing your knowledge and passion about the hemp industry. Please subscribe to this podcast so you're always in the know. Have a beautiful day.